Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with the iconic Norma Kamali, who launched her namesake fashion brand more than 50 years ago. Norma can be credited with pioneering such timely industry trends as athleisure and an e-commerce focus. I wanted to ask her about how she's kept her brand relevant and how she anticipates the last two years will impact her company and the industry at large. Hi, Norma. Hi. Nice to see you. Yes. Where are we? You, I guess, phoning in from, zooming in from. Uh, we just met Wally Kamali, your adorbs wiener dog. Uh, are you at the office? I'm at the office. We um, we have a photo studio on the fifth floor where I am now. And we just finished doing a photo shoot the day before Thanksgiving so today is costing and meeting with salespeople tomorrow and getting the show on the road. I mean, it is a busy time. On that note, happy Cyber Monday to you. I saw this incredible sale on your site, which I need to be uh, shopping after we hang up. But tell me about how you typically approach these kind of shopping holidays, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Was this a typical year for you? Well, clearly, this was not a typical year for anybody on the on the planet in the you know in our atmosphere. And uh, it you know being a business for fifty years gives you a real perspective on things that have happened before um, and things that sort of happen again in a similar way. But COVID and everything that went with it was for me in in the workplace there has never been anything like it so we've all experienced this the first time and anybody my age would say that and I think for me COVID really got me to Fast forward the company to where we should be in a much speedier way, made us more efficient, made us better strategically. Um, we the building the, the the business has grown almost three times in the last oh, wow. two years because we got better. We also, like everyone else, are taking advantage of the cash that people have that they either saved up or somehow accumulated over this period of time. And, of course, we are dealing with the supply chain crisis, like everyone else, and trying to strategize that is very challenging but also helping us really look at domestic production in a bigger way than we had before. So a lot of things are challenging us, but those things have to be dealt with. And once you do, it makes you better and more efficient. Yes. Tell me about those supply chain issues. Uh, what was happening prior and how you were able to, I guess, yeah, uh, switch gears and make it make it more efficient, uh, your processes? Well, we have an extraordinary um, relationship with uh, a factory in China that has grown tremendously with us. Um, I met this woman 
over 15 years ago, I was, I went to China because I wasn't happy with the work partnership I had. And I was there to have one final conversation and I knew it wasn't going to go well. But as a result, this woman who was part of that team met with me privately and she said, I know exactly what you want. And if you give me a chance, I can do this for you. And she opened a factory and just has been an amazing sister to me in this. And we have a very great bond together. And so she produces beautiful clothes for me and we work very closely. The, 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 the difficulty in the increase in business, right? We've all, we all have more business. So she's grown with us, but in a sort of methodical way until now where she has people in a night shift and a day shift and she has her design team and production in the morning working during the day and then another team working at night. So it, she's really barreling through, but then all the forms of transportation are also overbooked. So what we would normally ship, many times we're having to put on a plane, we're absorbing the costs of it, of course. And even with that, once the product gets off the ship, then it has to get trucked. And then that's another problem. And everybody's been hearing about, you know, needing trucks, needing drivers, needing all of that support. So one of the things that I'm focusing on is we have two factories that are, again, we have great relationships with in the U.S. And when I work with a factory, they're the most important people to us. So we have a very close relationship. And we're helping them grow. We're helping them expand their space, bring on more people. And that's a process and it takes a little time. And these are real professionals and they're really great. So they're moving at twice the speed that that normally would happen. But there's a bigger issue, Jill, that I really want to talk about that we as a country um, are sort of in the middle of, and everything is political now. So everything I'm going to say, I want to just say, I don't have a political agenda. I, I can't stand anybody. So that's my platform. <laughs> I just don't like anyone. So my, my feeling though is immigration is such a huge issue, right? It's huge. Trump didn't want anybody in. Biden wants everybody in. So between the two, what we have is a real drought of, of skilled workers in factories. And we need to train people because we don't have the facilities or the, or the labor force to really build Made in America, which we all want. We all want it. I want it. I'm trying anything I can to do it. So if there was a doorway that people could go through where they would get a full medical examination, they would get trained, companies would get tax abatements, 
the labor force could be built and trained throughout the country. So if you're coming into the country, you get a purple card as a trained to be in these factories in different cities and people get sent there and they get supported by education and training and, and support from the government to do this so we can build Made in America. We do yeah. not have this now. We have immigrants who are here illegally and I'm not allowed to hire them. You're not allowed to hire them. They're hiding. They're not part of the culture. They're in this secret underworld that is just not the way we should be treating people. And I am desperately concerned about our desire to have production in the U.S., but how can we have it unless we train people and give people a sense of dignity to be a part of our world, but to do it in the open and to, to make sure they're medically in good shape, that everybody's protected that comes in and that becomes a part of our world and that we train them and we give them the hope and the promise and the dreams that we all have. Yes. In your experience, this is happening in other countries, you're, and this is why everybody's going elsewhere. This training, this, um, yeah, I guess government-supported um, path. Yes, yes. So I'm, you know, like I said, I, it, I don't want to sound political, but I do think we need the government to help support this this sort of a training process for labor. And these people are leaving countries that they don't want to be in and they're, they're being exploited from the minute they try to get here to the minute they get here. And exploiting human beings is not what we do. So maybe they're just, we don't let them in and that's not such a great thing either. Or we let them in and we give them dignity, but we can't treat them like criminals because... We can't hire them. We can't train them. We can't make them part of our culture. So it's very bizarre. Um, but somebody hopefully will figure out a way that uh, we can build a labor force, train a labor force, and really build Made in America. Yes, it's so interesting because I'm hearing from other designers and companies about the shortage um, in terms of hiring retail workers, store employees, and you've got it, you've got it kind of more in the factory side. How is that impacting your business? It's, it's costing you more um, if you want to produce here. Um, is the quality lower? Um, what, what's going well, on? Well, I, you know, my factories produce really beautiful quality because I'm, I'm the kind of person, if I have a good relationship, I will go through thick and thin with my partners. So I have long relationships with the people we work with and they make beautiful clothes and I want to help them expand. And in order to do that, there's a labor force that's needed and it needs to be a talented, trained labor force. And it has to be all kinds of workers, cutters, sewers, pattern makers. Um, you know, you, you could list up. Uh, 
a mile long of job opportunities once you train people. Um, and there are people who want to come to this country who may have those skills who could possibly come right into the labor force. So I think it's a it's it's something for us to talk more about and to um, explore the possibilities. And also, you know, the retail um, the retail drought as well. Basically, what's going to happen unless we find labor and make that position a viable one? It sounds weird for me to say this, but there'll be a robotic answer to it. If you go to any of the, you know, CBS type places, you can check yourself out, right? So sooner or later, we're going to start to see AI become the labor force that we're missing right now. And in some cases, I actually think it's a good idea, but in other cases, there's human interaction that may be very important. And that's where I think um, we have a challenge. Such a challenge. And there's going to be such demand, like like we've talked about, as everyone's having the the supply chain issues. They're seeing that their, their products aren't coming in. Their, their, I guess the ship is importing, <laughs> whatever you call it. Um, everybody's going to be wanting to move their production to the States. And yeah, as you're as you're seeing it, it's just not yeah, feasible. Right. Yeah. So you may want to move it here, but we're going to have to train people, whether there are people who are living here who need to be trained in new areas. But we don't have a structure in place for it. We only have dialogue about it. We need a structure. And it's pretty simple. If you support businesses who train and give them either tax relief or some sort of incentive to do it, and then they assimilate these people into the workforce, we only come out stronger for it. But we have to have a committed government who understand business and care about it in this way and care about the people that we're bringing into the country to, to make it viable for the citizens that are here now and for people that are coming in. We need to do something. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a legislator. I'm not a political person, but I'm a business person who wants to bring made in the USA to be a big part of what I do. And it doesn't mean I don't have a loyalty to my sister in China. She's, she's a soul sister, but there's so much more production that I need. So why shouldn't I do it here? Absolutely. On in terms of other challenges, um, has it been that's been the 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 brunt of it? Have, are you also experiencing kind of the fabric and the supply shortages that that others are telling me about? Yeah. Well, I mean, it it's it you know if you make this shirt, there's there are all these steps that go to putting it together. So. Uh, whether it's the label, the hang tag, the fabric, the trims, it's it's all, uh, it's a recipe. You put all these ingredients together and you get a product. So if one of those is missing or late, 
everything falls. So it's like a domino. One, one's gone and everything falls. And so it strategically is very tricky and challenging. We just, you know, I have this dress. This is a funny story. I have this dress called the Diana dress. And it is. I know of the Diana dress. It's spectacular. So go ahead. <laughs> it's been, I, I did it. You know, it's very funny, Jill. I did this dress in the 70s. And the fabrics were different then, and it's evolved through the years, and I've upgraded the fabrics. And so the version we have in the last five years is it has a bodysuit inside, and it's washable, easy, and everybody looks good in it. And so, and the price is great, and it's selling like crazy. Everybody that we sell to is selling that dress, and we're selling that dress. And we're selling so many of them that we're like in a crisis for more fabric for, you know, and so we finally figure out a strategy, even before we sell any show a collection, and there's a new color for the Diana, we buy it even before we get an acknowledgement from buyers that they want it. So we're ahead of it. So we finally, oh, yay, great. We, we stepped out, we got it. We figure it all out. And then somebody sends me a photo of Sarah Jessica Parker in the dress. And like, of course, we don't have enough fabric again. And that's a good thing. You know, I'm sure that's a very sad story. Not really. But the point is, it's just, it's, it's bad news about good things. So it's great. Everything is selling, but can we fill the orders? Can And so we're so frustrated because we can't get the fabric as fast as we would love to. And But we're just really going out on a limb and ordering fabric before people even see the collection now. Yes. To bring everybody into this, this, this Diana dress, there's a photo of Sarah Jessica Parker wearing it in light blue with this kind of amazing coat over her shoulders. And literally the message across the industry was, hello, this is how Carrie Bradshaw should be dressing because there's been a lot of <laughs> a lot of discussion about some of the looks we've seen behind the scenes on the new Sex in the City. So ideal, that's a major moment for you, obviously. Like you said, that dress is affordable compared to what others that maybe a Carrie Bradshaw would wear. Um, and it just maybe wasn't you weren't able to take advantage of it like as you would have liked in terms of having the the supply. Yeah. Well, but you know, everybody wants that blue. So it's we're 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 gonna barrel through and and do everything we can to get that dress done. And it is, it's it's happening. But the challenge to do it now, when we're already over, you know, we're we're behind because everybody's selling it, and that on top of it, we're like, no. But but we're you know the challenge of this time is figure out solutions. The old ways just aren't going to work. So so tomorrow we're going to be ordering fabric for the summer pre-fall collection that nobody has seen yet, which is unheard of, right? Normally you show the collection, you get the response, then you order the fabric. Well, we can't 
if we do that, we won't be able to deliver flows. So that's the difference. That's the, that's a big difference. Yes. How, I guess, how many months in advance of your usual process is, are you working? So um, if we order the fabric tomorrow, the fabric, this is for April, May, June delivery. So that's, that's the story. (laughs) Yep. Well, that makes sense to me. November, November, we're ordering for, yeah. I mean, (laughs) who can plan these days? Well, you hit on this happy spot that you would think wouldn't be the most, I don't know, the hardest nut to crack in terms of your, tell me how you describe the more Norma Kamali style, because in my eyes, it's not only comfortable and it's comfortable and yet there's style, it's classic and there's style to it. Like you're, you're not... Everybody was talking about during the pandemic that, you know, people are just going to invest in styles that they can know they can wear next season. And that was reading as like sweatpants and basic basics. How are you able to kind of mesh these these um, elements? And is that how you would describe it? How do you describe it? Well, you know, actually, I think you did a really good job because um, what I think about subconsciously when I'm doing a collection and and this is for the last 50 years is I want to have a piece of clothing that I feel good in that isn't crazy expensive so that I wear it a lot and I don't save it for precious moments Um, and I want the I want that piece of clothing to look good with anything else I have for as long as I still want to wear it. So classic timeless style is key for me, Um, but I like to have a good time in clothes. So they have to be comfortable. They have to be fun to dance in. They have to be a little just a little twisted in a little way, something a little off, right? And that formula works for me. That's amazing. Well, tell us, tell me how you're going about um, rolling out your styles. You mentioned working for for April, May timeframe. Are these seasonal collections? And uh, yeah, where, where are you distributing? Are you selling a majority on your own site? Well, our, I would say 15 years ago, I decided, actually more than that now, I decided that e-commerce was going to be where I found my comfort zone, where I could present Norma Kamali directly to you, not through the reinterpretations of it through departments to review, through whatever, through a rack in the store. I I didn't feel comfortable with these interpretations and I didn't feel comfortable with where I saw retail going because it was clear to me retail was on a very slippery slope going down a rabbit hole that I was afraid of. And so I remember telling my CFO, 
I don't want to, I don't want to distribute to department stores, retail stores anymore. I really want our company to distribute to e-commerce sites. And he looked at me and he said, and like, who's going to pay the rent? <laughs> I, I said, <laughs> we have to do this now because we don't want to have to do it to survive. We want to do it now before we're threatened by it. So I remember for two years, I couldn't hire anybody. I had to be very cost effect efficient and I had to look at every purchase carefully and I couldn't do any, any forward investments. I had to stay in the moment, in the moment. And then we got to the point where we now had e-commerce accounts and we saw the instant response. We saw the information immediately and it was so exciting. Um, and so today, we, the majority of our distribution is e-commerce accounts, Revolve, Forward, Metaporter, Matches, My Teresa. I mean, you can go through the whole gamut. And even the department stores, we sell to Saks, but not the store, the e-commerce account, Bloomingdale's e-commerce account, Nordstrom's e-commerce account. So for us, that's a really comfortable place. And we have a collection that can be interpreted and curated by each of these accounts where we look quite different on each account, even though they purchase the same collection. Sometimes we do specific colors for a brand for maybe Revolve will want a certain, maybe a blue or that different different accounts will want different colors and we'll do that for them, especially Diana's perfect example of a dress everybody has, but they may not have the color Netta Porter has. So doing those things and really be, being very good partners with these accounts and seeing what we look like the minute you open up their website is so fantastic because we can really see where what we look like on every account and what our competition is and what we need to do uh, to work with them. And we are really proud of our, our partnerships and um, we love working with them. It is really an honor to be a part of all of their business and to be treated so nicely by them as well. Are these more typical of a wholesale partnership or are you doing, um, are you also selling on marketplaces, maybe doing drop shipping um, or it's, it's more of a typical partnership? Yeah, typical partnership. And of course we have our e-commerce account too. That is you know, I'm sure anybody that has an e-commerce account this year will tell you, wow, wow, wow. I mean, it is just unbelievable. The business is extraordinary. And it's very exciting because there are styles that I love and 
they may be a little bit more forward or a little experimental and we can have them on our website and we can have a whole bunch of exclusives that represent maybe an edgier point of view about Norma Kamali. And so people can come to our website for it. And we, we have a lot of, um, obviously we have wellness products and we have home and we have skincare and all of that. So it's a whole kind of package thing that we offer that's different from everyone else. Is there a goal to make your direct sales via e-commerce a bigger piece of the pie? Well, I think everybody thinks that because, you know, the profit margin is crazy and, um, and it's easy to manage. But I really think, and, and that's from someone who, I don't have any partners, so I'm the sole owner of my company and I'm also the designer. So from my perspective of being the designer and the owner, I think these relationships are really important for us from, from a lot of perspectives. We, we want to know what they like about us, right? What, what is it that you like about Norm Kamali? And it gives me insight into the culture, into the population, because we have I mean, just by the list of accounts that I told you about, and that's not even half of them, but by the list of accounts, they're so different demographically. Their age, I mean, we have a bulk of 25 to 45, right? That's our core. But we also have 18 to 25, and we also have 45 to 80. I mean, she, it's not. It's not every 75-year-old, but there are women who think like me and like to dress in this way, and we have them too. So I learn about each of the demographics by what they're buying and how the accounts are representing my brand to that audience. And there are some similarities between them all. Um, and there are things I learned. So here's a learning thing. The Diana is selling everywhere, right? It's selling from the 18-year-old in the mini version to the 45-year-old. And then the 50-plus requested the Diana with long sleeves. So oh, I was cute. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they wanted the Diana too, but they didn't want to like, you know, and so I, I did it and it's selling like crazy. And I actually got one for myself and I love it. I wear it. Uh, I mean, I wear it with my, with like a motorcycle jacket and it's like perfect on me. And I wear it with boots and, you know, I wear it for my, for me, not that I'm a typical 76-year-old, but I'm wearing it in the way I feel comfortable, which would be different from the way you would wear it or an 18-year-old would wear it. So the point is I'm learning from all of our accounts as a designer and a business person. And I think the value of those relationships is not just how many units you sell or how much you're selling and reordering, but more about the being relevant to a, a, a big demographic. 
For sure. Well, I was going to ask that who your customer is. Um, it's interesting that um, you're able to learn from these accounts, but also they're kind of working as a marketing tool to reach these different different audiences. What else are you doing to get in front of the um, of your shopper or your target customer? Um, obviously, there are some great moments that happen maybe by chance, like SJP, but what else is working to get in front of them and to maybe acquire them? Well, one of the things that I'm really not in control of that has been very interesting and influential for us is um, when a celebrity chooses to wear something. I don't pay people to wear my clothes. I don't give my clothes to celebrities to wear if they want to. I love that. It's great. So, I mean, obviously the Sarah Jessica Parker thing, I think actually happened through Neva Porter. Um, But Miley Cyrus recently um, was wearing some things of mine and mentioned me and was very complimentary. So I, that was a surprise. And, um, and it's always a surprise when one of the Kardashians is wearing something of mine who, you know, I don't know that they're going to or they would. And um, and or or just, you know, just really extraordinary women. Um, again, I'll refer to the Diana because it's in the conversation, but so many people are posting themselves in the Diana and we've been taking all of those posts and just showing them on our Instagram because these women are just you and me, but really understanding how to look because Instagram's given us this platform to be a non-celebrity celebrity, which I think is the future, quite frankly. And I see these gorgeous photographs and I think oh my god this woman is beautiful and they're all so different and they're all accessorizing they're they're styling themselves and they're presenting what I do and and the thing is I have nothing to do with how they created it I just the dress just got there and then they their bodies their hair their attitude, where they are, whether it's on vacation and how they look. And I think that is profoundly influential. And these are not paid influencers. These are amazing women who are just putting it out there in such a beautiful way. And everybody's style is so different and they are taking something I've done and making me look so good that I truly appreciate it. So for me, the answer to you is it could be celebrities, but it doesn't have to be to create an energy around something. We we have other styles that are similar in, in that response. And I think a lot of it has to do with women who are buying the clothes and then styling themselves and creating extraordinary photographs. 
For sure. Well, over these 50 years, you definitely haven't stood still. I, there's obvious there's obvious incorporation of, um, of wellness into all that you do. Uh, we see that all over your site. There's also, you've expanded to home. You've expanded to, I guess, skincare, skin products. Tell me about this category expansion trajectory. What makes sense for you and your brand? Well, wellness has been a big part of my life for a very long time. Um, I think it started originally, my my personal interest in healthy lifestyle started when my friends were dying of AIDS. And I, I didn't know what that meant, except I would be with my friends and then they were gone. And it was just so overwhelming, it, not unlike how helpless we felt through COVID, but even more so because two of my best friends died in within a year. And so I opened the Wellness Cafe. The Wellness Cafe was a place right in this building, right, that you see behind me, where people could come and find products that would help boost your immune system. And then I started to introduce interesting people. And out of the woodwork came people who were thinking like I was thinking, who were learning the same types of things. And we created a community and we launched films and had people, you know, Michael Pollan, very early teacher on how we grow food and what we're eating and all of these incredible um, learning experiences we were having in the building. And, and we would have exercise class every uh, day at six o'clock. We would have a different type of exercise, whether it was Tai Chi, gyrokinesis, Pilates, yoga, all of that. And then we would have a meditation and tea talks I had docents in. So we had, we, we created an environment with that. And so through COVID, I decided to, because I closed the building, um, I decided to create the Wellness Cafe virtually. And we just launched the Wellness Cafe on um, the Normal Life website. And I have lots of great products that are timeless, just the same definition you gave my clothes, I'm giving to those products. They're products you can be loyal to. It's not the flavor of the month. These are things that you can have forever because they do the job. And so, uh, and skin, uh, the skin line is something I've been using for 25 years. And I am a believer in great ingredients, timeless ingredients that work. And that's what I use. And I don't use face makeup. I, I stopped that when I turned 50. Basta, can't do that on your skin anymore. So I created yeah. this line for that, actually. Oh my gosh. Well, tell me, I think that you launched that, was that in 2019? I mean, ideal timing when everyone's talking self-care. Yeah. So I, I relaunched it, but I had, obviously I created it 25 years ago when I turned 50. And then I, I upgraded the ingredients 
with the Wellness Cafe. And then I just upgraded them again. But they're saying I didn't change. I don't have a chemical formula. I just cleaned it up, cleaned it up, cleaned it up to really um, a beautiful place right now. And so the skin line is basically the same. Um, there, there's it's a it's a cleanser, um, an exfoliant a moisturizer and a glow. So I have glow on my skin. It'll last for probably two or three days and, and, and it just fades. And then I keep it vibrant with the moisturizer and the moisturizer is a moisturizer that I found in the olive orchards where, you know, I sell olive oil too. So the, the, <laughs> you do a lot of things. The women in the <laughs> olive orchards literally have make this out of um, lime water and olive oil. And when you blend them together, it's just the most incredible moisturizer. So it's for everything is for face, body, men and women, any age. So that's the. I mean. Sold. That sounds amazing. Is your is your fashion customer the same as your skincare customer? The same as your wellness customer? Um, is there overlap there? Well, in some cases, again, it depends on the demographic, and also, um, you know, I, I think since COVID, like you said, more people not just care about their skin, but care about being healthy and the importance of being healthy. And, you know, I've just written a book and the, the book is really about aging with power. And for me, um, aging with power really begins with the three pillars of a healthy lifestyle, which is sleep, diet, exercise. So I think there comes a time and 20 year olds feel like they're aging. So you know, every decade, somebody feels like they're aging. And so if you're aging, that's a good thing. If you're doing it with power, and you're doing it in a progressive way, rather than looking at aging as deteriorating. So I, I, there's an approach to it. And that comes through sleep diet exercise. Let's look forward to 2022. Like we said, who can predict what? But um, what are your expectations for the year ahead? Uh, what are you most looking forward to? Well, I think um, I think the year ahead is again going to be one of a lot of surprises, and I think anything that goes up like this can go down very quickly. So being strategic about growth for everyone. For me, I'm definitely looking at, but I think everybody who's seeing extraordinary growth is also being strategic about how long that will last and how, how long down is the drop if you don't sort of take, take caution. And so I think it's a it's going to be a combination of being optimistic and excited about the positive, but also being extremely cautious about how we spend our money and what we spend it on. Yeah, don't get too cocky. <laughs> yeah. no, not a time to party in the streets. Not yet. Not. Yet. <laughs> 
So tell me, is the sleeping bag coat the the gift of the season? Is that is that popular right now? I would just I just think because I'm eyeing it myself. <laughs> every every year since I made the first coat, we sell sleeping bag coats, and I make them in different colors, prints every year, and some different shapes. And um, I think if you have something that functions and it truly keeps you warm, um, it can last a long time. There are people that have my coat for 35 years and don't want to give it up. It's like that blanket when you're a kid, you don't want to give up the blanket. So um, yes, and I'm happy uh, that a lot of people last year and this year are supporting restaurants and eating outside in their sleeping bag coats. So we la- we've never put the sleeping bag coats on sale before, but last year I decided that people need to support their favorite restaurants. And I noticed people in the sleeping bag coat outside. So I decided we have to do it. And so we're doing it again this year, and I'm I'm happy that people can be nice and warm in the coat. And if you take good care of it and you get the coat, you get a sponge at the end of the season with some warm water and a, a non-toxic soap, and you clean your coat with the soapy sponge and then give it a wipe and then roll it up and put it in a pillowcase for the for the summer. It'll be fresh and last forever. See, this gift is the ultimate uh, recommendation from Jill Manoff and Norma Kamali. <laughs> we'll end it there. Thank you so, Thank so much, you. Norma, for being here. Thank you. Yes, this was great. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.